Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners, and thanks for stopping by. You know, when looking this past week at recent demographics, one thing struck me. Most of you are listening to the podcast from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Now, that's not surprising since the morning commute is a favorite listening time for podcasts. However, the 5 a.m. start time was enlightening. So, starting this week, I'm going to start releasing the podcast on Fridays at 5 a.m. Central Standard Time. For those of you with early commutes, that might help you out. And for our UK listeners, that might allow for more listening time during lunchtime. No matter what hour you listen at, I appreciate you giving us some of your valuable time. Thanks again. On the evening of March 13, 1997, thousands of people across Arizona, parts of Nevada, and as far south as Sonora, Mexico, reported witnessing two separate incidents of unidentified flying objects. Lights of varying descriptions were seen by a multitude of people between 7.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time in a space of about 300 miles from the Nevada line through Phoenix to the edge of Tucson. The earliest event involved a lit-up V-shaped object that witnesses reported first appeared in the northern Arizona towns of Prescott and Dewey around 8 p.m. The object then allegedly headed south in the direction of the point of the V towards Tucson. This stunning sight across the Arizona sky delighted and maybe frightened hundreds if not thousands of people that Thursday night. The V shape, maybe a massive ship that was miles wide, flew right over Phoenix. Fast forward almost 25 years and we still don't know what the Phoenix lights were, but now a lot more people are taking them and UFOs seriously. Dr. Lynn Kaidi watched the Phoenix lights arrive, and she's one of the few people with photographs of them. And for years, she stayed quiet, afraid of being branded crazy. Now the military and the government have actually come forward to say, yes, we're studying this in the Pentagon, Kaidi said. In the last year and a half, there have been some massive bombshells in the UFO community. For starters, the U.S. government says they're real, and they were researching them. Look no further than videos from the U.S. Navy that were leaked and the U.S. military has confirmed were real and unidentified. This is not a joke, Kaidi says. This is real. Something, even though I don't know what they are, I just wanted to know who they are, who's driving these things. Nick Pope led the British government's version of the X-Files and he investigated UFO sightings for the Ministry of Defense in the early 1990s. For years, there was the statement, these were the people with crazy beliefs, these were conspiracy theorists. Now it seems that these people, they were the people who were right, he says. It's something the U.S. government claimed for decades it didn't do. 
the official position of the United States government was, we have not had a UFO program, Pope explained. Since the end of 1969, when Project Blue Book was terminated, and nobody is interested in this, perhaps we were not being told the entire picture. But in reality, a handful of military groups have been investigating UFO sightings since 2007, and may still be doing it today. I think people's perception of UFOs has changed fundamentally, and this whole subject has come out of the fringe and into the mainstream, Pope said. Like the Phoenix Lights, loads of regular people saw them, but most had no special training. But a private pilot also reported them to the FAA that night. The pilot who reported the sighting was actor Kurt Russell. The tail number for that plane was Bonanza 2 Tango Sierra, and I was the pilot, Russell said. He stayed silent for years and only came forward in 2017. He said he spotted the lights while flying his son to Arizona. I was flying him to go see his girlfriend, and we're on approach, and I saw six lights over the airport, absolutely uniform, in a V-shape, he said. My son said, are we okay here? And I said, yeah, I'm going to call them in. And I reported it. There was a documentary, and they said a general aviation pilot reported it on landing. I had never thought of it since then, and I said, that was me, Russell said. Phoenix Lights Network spokeswoman Lynn Kite said it wasn't just one event. There were many events across the state for more than 12 hours. The first event was described as a V-shaped object the size of a commercial plane soaring through the sky. One witness from Prescott, who wished to be known only as J.R., said he watched a boomerang-shaped object glide over Granite Mountain, and it was at least a mile wide. He said there's no way it was from this planet. We don't have anything that big, he said. It was totally silent. I've never seen anything even close to the colors from the exhaust that propelled this thing. It was as big as downtown Prescott and completely blocked out the stars. The second incident occurred a few hours later at 10 p.m. and involved a smattering of lights that appeared to hover over the Phoenix area in a boomerang shape. Hundreds of people reported seeing the lights turn on and off at regular intervals, and various eyewitnesses quoted in a 1997 USA Today article agreed the object was enormous, potentially 6,000 feet, silent and slow-moving. The second event was reported by an unidentified former Arizona police officer who claimed he saw a series of stationary orange and red lights hanging over the valley. Making matters even more mysterious, nearby air traffic controllers said that even though they could see the lights, nothing showed up on their radar screens. The controller on duty that night, Bill Grava, described the experience as weird and inexplicable to a USA Today reporter. I have no idea what it was, said Grava. Something military, I guess. The orange and red lights were later explained away as flares dropped by military aircraft during a training exercise at the Barry Goldwater Range. However, the V-shaped object remains unexplained. The Phoenix lights were treated as a joke at first by then-Governor Fife Symington. However, Symington later did a complete turnaround and not only said he saw the lights himself but believed them to be of otherworldly origin. And 
There have been dozens of such sightings over the years across the United States. In some cases, the explanation may be readily apparent. However, in many of the cases, they are as puzzling as the Phoenix Lights. The Lubbock Lights, Lubbock, Texas, August 1951. The Lubbock Lights were an unusual formation of lights seen over the city of Lubbock, Texas in August and September of 1951. The Lubbock Lights incident received national publicity in the United States as a UFO sighting and was investigated by the U.S. Air Force. On August 25th, around 9.20 p.m., university scientists and colleagues from Texas Technical College saw something otherworldly in the expanse of Texas sky. A V-shaped formation of 15 to 30 bluish-green lights passing overhead. Stunned, but still using their trained scientific reasoning, they figured the lights would reappear, and they did, about an hour later, in a more haphazard formation. The scientists were all in agreement. They had witnessed something fantastic, but what was it? Unfortunately, you'll need to wait to find out, as this UFO case deserves its own episode. We'll be covering it in detail in a separate episode in year two of the podcast starting in January. The Hudson Valley UFO, December 1982. In a place you would hardly expect, just one hour north of New York City, lies the site of one of the most widely observed and yet most unexplainable set of UFO sightings ever seen. The place is the Hudson Valley, and the story of its strange UFO started on New Year's Eve in 1982. New York's Hudson Valley UFO was a December 31, 1982 sighting by hundreds of onlookers of a V-shaped collection of multicolored lights connected by a triangular fuselage moving deliberately and without a sound across the night sky. A few minutes before midnight, a retired police officer was out in his backyard in Kent, New York, when he observed a group of strange lights off to the south. They were colored red, green, and white. At first, the former officer thought they belonged to a jet aircraft in trouble, but as the object passed over his house at a height he estimated to be about 500 feet, he realized it was moving much too slowly for a jet and made too little noise, just a distant humming sound. As he watched, he decided the lights, which appeared as a V-shape, were connected by a dark triangular fuselage. What the former officer had seen would be observed many times in the Hudson Valley area over the next few years by hundreds of different witnesses. A V-shaped set of multicolored lights moving slowly and silently across the sky. On March 26, 1983, a front-page story in the Westchester Rockland Daily proclaimed, Hundreds claimed to have seen UFO. The article, which told of sightings of a triangular UFO on March 24th, got the attention of a group of UFO researchers in the valley associated with Dr. J. Allen Hynek, founder of the Center for UFO Studies. The group started an investigation of the phenomena, which was later documented as a book, Night Siege, the Hudson Valley UFO Sightings, authored by Dr. Hynek and Philip J. Imbrogno, 
with the help of Bob Pratt. The group opened up a UFO hotline and received over 300 calls from people that had seen the UFO on the night of March 24th alone. One witness cited in the book reported that it had moved up the Taconic Parkway in sort of a Z pattern. He described the object as being triangular in shape with 30 to 40 colored lights along the back edge. The object, he stated, was huge. If there is such a thing as a flying city, this was a flying city, he said. The object apparently cruised over the community of Yorktown that evening, where the police switchboard became so jammed with reports, officials became concerned that they would be unable to take emergency calls. On the Taconic Parkway, people pulled over to watch the object as it moved slowly on its path. One observer estimated it was as large as an aircraft carrier. The UFO researchers estimated that over 5,000 people had seen the object over a period of five years, from 1982 through 1986. Often the UFO seemed to glide over large areas, causing dozens of sightings in one night. It was never spotted during the day. Most reports came from people who seemed to be reliable witnesses. As the authors put it, ordinary people who have seen something extraordinary. The UFO was seen not just over the Hudson Valley, but as far east as New Haven, Connecticut, and as far north as Brookfield, Connecticut. While most reports described the UFO moving at a very slow speed, hovering, or turning slowly like a wheel, a few reports described the object as suddenly zooming away at fantastic speeds or just disappearing. In some accounts, the shape varied so that the lights appeared as more of a circle than a V. Often the color and arrangement of the lights changed as the viewers watched. In a few cases, reports arrived that put the object at two distant locations at the same time, suggesting there might have been more than one of them. The Hudson Valley UFO remains a mystery even today. Newtown, Connecticut UFO, 1987 On May 26, 1987, commercial airline pilot Randy Edding took a nighttime walk near his home in Newtown, Connecticut. He often studied the skies when he walked, trying to identify passing planes. At about 9.45 p.m., he observed some orange and red lights approaching from the west. He got his binoculars and called his neighbors to come outside. Edding said that as the UFO passed over Interstate 84, cars pulled over to watch. And indeed, between 9.30 and 10.15 p.m., more than 200 people phoned police to report a UFO. The object displayed a semicircular pattern of very bright multicolored lights. Several drivers reported that their cars had lost power as the lights passed by. About 15 minutes later, calls started coming in from New Milford, about 14 miles north, alerting authorities that the lights, reported by many to be connected to an object larger than a football field, were hovering there. The lights eventually vanished, but the mystery remains. The Lights Above the New Jersey Turnpike, 2001 it takes a lot for motorists to stop alongside a highway to look toward the sky, but on July 14, 2001, drivers on the New Jersey Turnpike did just that. 
For about 15 minutes just after midnight, they marveled at the sight of strange orange and yellow lights in a V formation over the Arthur Kill waterway between Staten Island, New York, and Cataret, New Jersey. Cataret Police Department's Lieutenant Daniel Tarrant was one of the witnesses, as well as other metro area residents from the Throngs Neck Bridge on Long Island and Fort Lee, New Jersey, near the George Washington Bridge. Air traffic controllers initially denied that any airplanes, military jets, or space flights could have caused the mysterious lights, but a group known as the New York Strange Phenomena Investigators claimed to receive FAA radar data that corroborated the UFO sightings from that night. The Stevensville Sightings, 2008 The small town of Stevensville, Texas, 100 miles southwest of Dallas, is mostly known for its dairy farms, but on the evening of January the 8th, 2008, dozens of its residents viewed something unique in the sky. Citizens reported seeing white lights above Highway 67, first in a single horizontal arc and then in vertical parallel lines. Local pilot Steve Allen estimated that the strobe lights spanned about a mile long and a half mile wide traveling about 3,000 miles per hour. No sound was reported. Witnesses believed the event was reminiscent of the Phoenix Lights sightings of 1997, while the U.S. Air Force revealed weeks later that F-16s were flying in the Brownswood military operating areas just southwest of Stevensville. Many town people didn't buy that explanation, believing that what they saw was too technologically advanced current human abilities. The Charlotte, North Carolina Lights, February 2021. Multiple people reported seeing an odd string of lights at night near Charlotte igniting talk of UFOs on social media. Photos shared on Facebook show what appears to be a string of lights floating over North Carolina's Indian Trail community. The area is in Union County, just southeast of Charlotte. Anyone know what these lights were tonight? Alyssa Homewood asked on the What's Up Indian Trails community Facebook page. No sound at all. They flickered like lanterns, but followed the same exact path up until they disappeared, which was odd. Homewood told the Charlotte Observer the lights resembled how a flame would look flickering in the dark. My initial thought when I saw the lights was it was the helicopters in the distance, but as the lights got closer, there was no sound. Then they went straight up into the sky and disappeared. No smoke, no debris, she said. I couldn't see anything around the light to suggest they were or were not lanterns, but the light flickered like you'd imagine a lantern would look. At least one person posted on social media that lanterns were released last week in the county as part of a memorial, but it happened the day before Homewood's sighting. Equally strange is a trio of lights that glowed blue in Homewood's photos. Homewood, who lives in Monroe, has no explanation for that, though it's possible it's a trick of the light. The blue light I, I didn't notice until after I took the pictures. In the sky, it did not look blue. It looked like a group of bright lights, she said. I thought it was odd, though, that a few people have seen and photographed that same bluish grouping of lights. The Facebook group has more than 20,000 members, and a few hundred people have reacted to Homewood's post. Several have mentioned UFOs, while others say it could have been flares, lanterns, drones, 
or Starlink satellites launched by SpaceX. A growing number say they too have seen odd lights at night in Union County, including one person who shared a shaky video of her experience. Yeah, we saw them too and couldn't figure out what they were, a Charlotte woman posted. They did flicker, but like how big were those lanterns then for us to see it so bright and so clear from so far away? I've seen something like this recently too, another commentator wrote. It was 5 a.m. or so, no lanterns. The string of lights wasn't there, only the triangular shape lights. It hovered, moved slowly, and zero sound. I'm officially creeped out, a Matthews woman added. Same weird lights happened at my friend's home last night. As for other possibilities, Union is among the counties included in unconventional warfare exercises staged by the special forces based out of Fort Bragg. Flares are part of the exercises, the Army says. But the most recent exercises ended on December 18th, two months earlier than Homewood sightings, according to the U.S. Army John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center. While Homewood never brought up aliens or UFOs, she braced herself to be criticized for sharing the photos. Since Homewood shared her photos, others living along the East Coast have reported seeing similar lights at night, and they have begun sharing their photos on social media. The Patterson, New Jersey Lights, October 2021 Flying lights were recorded over the New Jersey city of Patterson, prompting speculation about what they could have been. The footage shows how the lights, described as flying circles, appeared to be moving slowly in some sort of formation. The pattern of mysterious lights over Patterson, New Jersey, caused a bit of a stir with residents on the ground trying to make sense of the unidentified flying objects. According to eyewitness Lewis Stevens, who managed to record the strange spectacle, several lights hovered over the city for more than five minutes before disappearing over Garrett Mountain nearby. He said he lost count of what he called flying white circles that he said morphed into different shapes. You see it on YouTube, and it's always somewhere out in the Nevada desert somewhere, Stevens told PIX11 News. The shock of it is more like, is this really real? I mean, are we really looking at what we think we're looking at? PIX11 News sent the video to the Federal Aviation Administration, where an official reviewed it, checking in with local air traffic controllers. They were told nothing was reported. While theories on the ground are now running rampant, especially after a government report released over the summer acknowledged that intelligence officials cannot explain such sophisticated movements in the skies, one likely premise leans more toward drone involvement. Some people suspect the glowing orbs are actually drones, and PIX11 News checked with an expert on drone flight, who said that the lights could have been part of a rehearsal for a drone light show that went wrong. He stated, At first, I was kind of puzzled. If you look at any light show, they are all synced together and they are controlled by a computer. If you look at the video, you will see that they are maintaining a formation for the most part, even though it's kind of scrambled a little bit. However, no one practicing for a drone light show that night has come forward, so the mystery of the objects remains unsolved. The Middle Tennessee Mystery Lights December 6, 2021. Nashville, Tennessee's News 4 received multiple calls and emails asking what a mysterious string of lights were in the sky over Middle Tennessee. After a few calls, they went to Twitter to ask what others were seeing. The answers were surprising. 
folks were responding from all over the country, and what they saw looked exactly like what they were seeing in Nashville, Tennessee. Some people responded from as far away as Austin, Texas, and Oklahoma. Forewarned meteorologist Dan Thomas says those lights were courtesy of Elon Musk and SpaceX. The lights were part of a satellite array, or a field of satellites designed at making low-cost internet available in remote locations. This one was easy enough to verify and determine the actual cause of the sightings. But as we'll see with the Phoenix Lights incident, that is not always the case. At about 6.55 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, a man reported seeing a V-shaped object above Henderson, Nevada. He said it was about the size of a Boeing 747, sounded like rushing wind, and had six lights on its leading edge. The lights reportedly traversed northwest to southeast. An unidentified former police officer from Paulden, Arizona, is claimed to have been the next person to report a sighting. After leaving his home at about 8.15 Mountain Standard Time, as he was driving north, he allegedly saw a cluster of reddish or orange lights in the sky, comprising four lights together and a fifth light trailing them. Each of the individual lights in the formation appeared to the witness to consist of two separate point sources of orange light. He returned home and watched the lights through binoculars until they disappeared south over the horizon. Lights were also reportedly seen in the areas of Prescott and Prescott Valley. At approximately 8.17 Mountain Standard Time, about 22 minutes after the Henderson, Nevada sighting, callers began reporting the object was definitely solid because it blocked out much of the starry sky as it passed over. Devin Lorenz and his aunt, Jamie Lorenz, were standing outside on his porch in Prescott Valley when they noticed a cluster of lights to the west-northwest of their position. The lights formed a triangular pattern but all of them appeared to be red, except the light at the nose of the object, which was distinctly white. The object, or objects, which had been observed for approximately two to three minutes with binoculars, then passed directly over the observers, were seen to bank to the right, and then disappeared in the night sky to the southeast of Prescott Valley. The altitude could not be determined, but the object was fairly low and made no sound whatsoever. The National UFO Reporting Center received the following report from the Prescott area. We observed five yellow-white lights in a V formation moving slowly from the northwest across the sky to the northeast, then turn almost due south and continue until out of sight. The point of the V was in the direction of movement. The first three lights were in a fairly tight V, while two of the lights were further back along the lines of the V's lakes. During the northwest to northeast transit, one of the trailing lights moved up and joined the three, and then moved back to the trailing position. I estimated the three-light V to cover about 0.5 degrees of sky, and the whole group of five lights to cover about one degree of sky. Witnesses in Glendale, a suburb northwest of Phoenix, saw the object pass overhead at an altitude high enough to become obscured by the thin clouds. This was at approximately between 8.30 and 8.45. And then the lights made their way to Phoenix, where they would be seen in two distinctly separate events and two entirely different formations.
when the triangular formation entered the Phoenix area. Bill Greiner, a cement driver hauling a load down a mountain north of Phoenix, described the second group of lights. I'll never be the same. Before this, if anybody had told me they saw a UFO, I would have said, yeah, and I believe in the tooth fairy. Now I've got a whole new view, and I may be just a dumb truck driver, but I've seen something that don't belong here. Greiner stated that the lights hovered over the area for more than two hours. A report came from a young man in the Kingman area who stopped his car at a payphone to report the incident. The young man, en route to Los Angeles, called from a phone booth to report having seen a large and bizarre cluster of stars moving slowly in the northern sky. There is some controversy as to how best to classify the reports on the night in question. Some are of the opinion that the differing nature of the eyewitness reports indicates that several unidentified objects were in the area, each of which was its own separate event. This is largely dismissed by skeptics as an over-extrapolation from the kind of deviation common in necessarily subjective eyewitness accounts. The media and most skeptical investigators have largely preferred to split the sighting into two distinct classes, a first and second event, for which two separate explanations are offered. The first event, the V, which appeared over northern Arizona and gradually traveled south over nearly the entire length of the state, eventually passing south of Tucson, was the apparently web-shaped object reported by then-Governor Symington and many others. This event started at about 8.15 Mountain Standard Time over the Prescott area and was seen south of Tucson by about 8.45. The second event was the set of nine lights appearing to hover over the city of Phoenix at around 10 p.m. The second event has been more thoroughly covered by the media, due in part to the numerous video images taken of the lights. This was also observed by numerous people who may have thought they were seeing the same lights as those reported earlier. However, not surprisingly, skeptics and debunkers arose immediately after the event. There were official explanations for the Phoenix lights. The U.S. military eventually told the public four months later the light sightings were not UFOs at all. Instead, the official story was those lights were flares dropped over the Barry M. Goldwater Range in Arizona during a training exercise called Operation Snowbird. The U.S. Air Force explained the second event as slow-falling, long-burning LUU 2BB illumination flares dropped by a flight of four A-10 Warthog aircraft on a training exercise at the Barry Goldwater Range at western Pima County. According to this explanation, the flares would have been visible in Phoenix and appeared to hover due to rising heat from the burning flares creating a balloon effect on their parachutes, which slowed the descent. The lights then appeared to wink out as they fell behind the Sierra Estrella, a mountain range to the southwest of Phoenix. A Maryland Air National Guard pilot, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Jones, responding to a March 2007 media query, confirmed that he had flown one of the aircraft in the formation that dropped flares on the night in question. The squadron to which he belonged was, in fact, at Davis-Motham Air Force Base, Arizona, on a training exercise at the time, and flew training sorties to the Barry Goldwater Range on the night in question, 
according to the Maryland Air National Guard. A history of the Maryland Air National Guard, published in 2000, asserted that the squadron, the 104th Fighter Squadron, was responsible for the incident. The first reports that members of the Maryland Air National Guard were responsible for the incident were published in the Arizona Republic newspaper in July of 1997. Military flares such as these can be seen from hundreds of miles given ideal environmental conditions. Later comparisons with known military flare drops were reported on local television stations showing similarities between the known military flare drops and the Phoenix Lights. An analysis of the luminosity of this type of illumination flare, the type which would have been in use by A-10 aircraft at the time, determined that the luminosity of such flares at a range of approximately 50 to 70 miles would fall well within the range of the lights viewed from Phoenix. An ASU astronomy professor, a physicist, and other scientists have reviewed the evidence and found the explanation perfectly plausible. Proponents of two separate events propose that the first event still has no provable explanation, but some evidence does exist that the lights may have in fact been airplanes. According to an article by reporter Janet Gonzalez that appeared in the Phoenix New Times, videotape of the V-shape shows the lights moving as separate entities, not as a single object. A phenomenon known as illusory contours can cause the human eye to see unconnected lines or dots as forming a single shape. Mitch Stanley, an amateur astronomer, observed high-altitude lights flying in formation using a Dobsonian telescope giving 43-time magnification. After observing the lights, he told his mother, who was present at the time, that the lights were aircraft. While doing astrophotography, I observed five yellow-white lights in a V formation moving slowly from the northwest across the sky to the northeast, then turn almost due south and continue until they were out of sight, Stanley said. The point of the V was in the direction of movement. Uh, the first three lights were in a fairly tight V, while two of the lights were further back along the lines of the V legs, and during the northwest-northeast transit, one of those trailing lights moved up and then dropped back. Under magnification, Stanley could clearly see that each light split into pairs, one each on the tips of squarish wings. Even under the telescope's power, the planes appeared small, indicating that they were flying high. Stanley says he followed the planes for about a minute, then turned his telescope to more interesting objects. Uh, they were planes. There's no way I could have been mistaken about that, he says. As for the V which wasn't talked about or disputed as much as the hovering lights, it never was disclosed who was flying those planes. Luke Air Force radar operator said there was nothing unusual on the radar, and a formation of five planes traveling at high altitude above Sky Harbor Airport and outside of Luke's restricted airspaces would not have been considered unusual. Nobody bothered to request the radar information from the Federal Aviation Administration, however, within two weeks, when such records were routinely deleted, so it'll never be known exactly where those planes came from, or whether they showed up on radar at all, or even existed. However, skeptics say the claim by UFO hunters that this was some miles-long UFO, obviously alien, didn't pan out. Some people thought all the lights were part of one craft, but an analysis of the videotape made it clear they were moving together in a formation and were independent of one another. Mystery? 
Not quite, skeptics say. What about photographic evidence? Imagery of the Phoenix Lights falls into two categories. Image of the triangular formation seen prior to 10 p.m. in Prescott and Dewey, and images of the 10 p.m. Phoenix event. Almost all known images are of the second event. All known images were produced using a variety of commercially available camcorders and cameras. This was well before the age of cell phone cameras. There are no known images taken by equipment designed for scientific analysis, nor are there any known images taken using high-powered optics or night vision equipment. There are few known images of the Prescott-Dewey V-lights. Television station KSAZ reported an individual named Richard Curtis reported a detailed video that purportedly showed the outline of a spacecraft, but that video had been lost. During the later Phoenix event, numerous still photographs and videotapes were made, showing a series of lights appearing at a regular interval, remaining illuminated for several moments and then going out. These images have been repeatedly aired by documentary television channels such as the Discovery Channel and the History Channel as part of their UFO documentary programming. The most frequently seen sequence shows what appears to be an arc of lights appearing one by one, then going out one by one. UFO advocates claim that these images show that the lights were some form of running light or other aircraft illumination along the leading edge of a large craft, estimated to be as large as a mile in diameter, hovering over the city of Phoenix. Other similar sequences, reportedly taken over a period of 30 minutes, show differing numbers of lights in a V or arrowhead array. Thousands of witnesses throughout Arizona also reported a silent, mile-wide V or boomerang-shaped craft with varying numbers of huge orbs. A significant number of witnesses reported that the craft was silently gliding directly overhead at low altitude. The first-hand witnesses consistently reported that the lights appeared as canisters of swimming light, while the underbelly of the craft was undulating like looking through water. However, skeptics claim that the video is evidence that mountains not visible at night partially obstructed views from certain angles, thereby bolstering the claim that the lights were more distant than UFO advocates claim. UFO advocate Jim Delarosso claimed to have performed spectral analysis of photographs and video imagery that proved the lights could not have been produced by a man-made source. He claimed to have used software called ImagePro Plus, exact version unknown, to determine the amount of red, green, and blue in the various photographic and video images and construct histograms of the data, which were then compared to several photographs known to be of flares. However, experts have dismissed his claims as being scientifically invalid. The maker of Image Pro Plus, Media Cybernetic, has stated that its software is incapable of performing spectroscopic analysis. Does wind direction data at the time give us any clues? Wind direction measured independently by several weather stations in the Phoenix area and archived by the National Centers for Environmental Information is consistent with reports about the movement of the lights. During the events, wind direction was changing from roughly west to north, that is, blowing towards the south. This supports the hypothesis that the flying objects were wind-driven and could simply have been balloons 
such as sky lanterns or other balloon-carried light effects or flares. Yet there are compelling eyewitness accounts, especially from the so-called first event. While some witnesses provided names, others did not. Here are their comments. From D. I was stationed at Marine Corps Air Base Yuma back then. I can tell you it wasn't flares. These lights crossed from Nevada over and beyond Phoenix that night. Flares don't travel that far. I remember seeing them on the northwestern horizon from the base and watching them travel to the eastern horizon. They weren't consistent. One light would slowly dim out and then brighten again. Then another light would do the same. They weren't like they seem in the video footage we have on YouTube. They were warm lights. It had to have spanned across a mile wide. Whatever it was, a formation or a solid object, it was about a mile wide. Max Damon. I saw this too with my own eyes. I must have been six or seven at the time. I'm 28 now. But there was at least a dozen people at my apartment complex that stood outside and watched this thing fly over us in such a slow way with such amazing detail. It truly was one of the most spectacular things I've witnessed. Me, my brother and sister all remember seeing this fly west. From Stormy. These were not flares. I saw that. Can't explain everything I saw, but many others saw it too. Whatever it was, it was certainly not flares. Leaf Odan. Flares? Flares that traveled miles, and between them the stars were blocked out? From June 19, 1997, a CNN crew in Phoenix reported the following. Tim Lay and his family are among the hundreds of witnesses who have come forward to talk about the Phoenix lights. They first saw the lights while looking north from their Phoenix home. Tim Lay and his wife Bobby, his son Hal, and his grandson Damien first saw the lights when they were above Prescott Valley, about 65 miles away from them. At first, the lights appeared to them as five separate and distinct lights in an arc shape, as if they were on top of a balloon, but they soon realized that the lights appeared to be moving toward them. Over the next 10 minutes or so, the lights appeared to come closer. The distance between the lights increased and they took on the shape of an upside-down V. Eventually, when the lights appeared to be a couple of miles away, the witnesses could make out a shape that looked like a 60-degree V, with the five lights set into it, with one at the front and two on each side. Soon, the object with the embedded lights appeared to be coming right down the street where they lived, about 100 to 150 feet above them, traveling so slowly that it appeared to hover and was silent. The object then seemed to pass over their heads and went through a V opening in the peaks of the mountain range towards Squaw Peak Mountain and toward the direction of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. When it finally got here and we realized this thing was coming right over us, we really started getting antsy, Lee said. Then, said he and his son Hal, it went directly overhead in complete silence. Tim said that when the right side of what appeared to be a giant V-shaped craft passed directly over him, the left side was a couple of blocks away. His wife Bobby, who also saw the aerial light show, said the size of the craft they saw was overwhelming. But, she said, it didn't seem threatening. When it was right overhead and we couldn't hear a sound, it was like you were just awestruck. 
While nobody knows for sure what the Lees and hundreds of others saw, Tim Lee is sure his family will never forget that night. We just re-experience it every time we tell it, says his wife. It's like it was just yesterday. We've never seen anything like it. Witness Sue Watson reported, Evidently, what we saw that night was one of the biggest reported UFOs ever. Watson and her family lived in East Phoenix. She said that night they were all watching an enormous black aircraft cruise slow and low over Camelback Mountain, headed south. It was like a shopping mall flying over my home, she said of the craft, described by multiple witnesses as being over a mile wide. On March 14, 2019, on a special reports, Fox 10 Phoenix reported the following. What everyone saw in the sky over Phoenix years ago remains a mystery, but as time goes by, more and more people have come forward to describe what they saw not only that night, but for similar sightings years later as well. Other folks, I think, like us, uh, they repressed it, said Dr. Brad Evans. There was nothing to share. We didn't talk to anybody for months. Many have come forward since the original sighting. As previously mentioned, both former Arizona Governor Fife Symington and actor Kurt Russell have come forward to share their experiences. Some people saw these things take off at great speed without even dispersing the air, said Phoenix physician Lynn Kidey, who witnessed the Phoenix Lights. The sightings would eventually become part of a book called The Phoenix Lights as well as a documentary film. So many people were afraid to come forward because they were so ostracized, said Kaidi. To this day, people still wonder about the lights and still discuss what they saw and felt during the event. It has become a pivotal point in their lives. Shortly after the lights, Arizona Governor Fife Symington III held a press conference stating that they found who was responsible. He proceeded to make light of the situation by bringing his aide on stage dressed in an alien costume. But in March 2007, Symington said that he had witnessed one of the crafts of unknown origin during the 1997 event, although he did not go public with the information. In an interview with the Daily Courier in Prescott, Arizona, Symington said, I'm a pilot, and I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything that I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it, responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. It was enormous and inexplicable. Who knows where it came from? A lot of people saw it, and I saw it too. It was dramatic, and it couldn't have been flares because it was too symmetrical. It had a geometric outline, a constant shape. Symington also noted that he requested information from the commander of Luke Air Force Base, the general of the National Guard, and the head of the Department of Public Safety, but none of the officials he contacted had an answer for what had happened and were also perplexed. Later, he responded to an Air Force explanation that the lights were flares. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitely say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object I've ever seen, and it was certainly not high-altitude flares because flares don't fly in formation. In an episode of the television show UFO Hunters called The Arizona Lights, Symington said that he contacted the military asking what the lights were. The response was no comment. He pointed out that he was the governor of Arizona at the time, not just some ordinary civilian. 
Frances Barwood, the 1997 Phoenix City Councilwoman who launched an investigation into the event, said that of the over 700 witnesses she interviewed, the government never interviewed even one. In the 2021 Showtime documentary UFO, Symington revisited his own sighting again. In an on-camera interview, Symington recalled his own experience seeing the object, saying, I turned around and this great big delta-shaped thing came out of the northwest and headed down toward the southwest valley. It was really eerie. It had embedded lights. I always refer to it as otherworldly. I'd never seen anything like it. The military denied any involvement, at least at first. A bit later on, the United States Air Force took responsibility for the event, saying the lights were leftover high-intensity flares that were dropped by a fleet of A-10s during a training routine at the nearby Barry M. Goldwater Air Force Range. But plenty of people remained skeptical of this explanation, including Governor Symington. The federal government never responded to criticisms of the Air Force's explanation and repeatedly denied requests for further investigations from both Governor Symington and then-Senator John McCain. However, while he may be more forthcoming now, Symington and other state government officials essentially stonewalled their own citizens when they asked for an investigation in the immediate aftermath of the sightings. In a particularly damning moment, in the documentary UFO, it is revealed that Symington and the then-Secretary of State refused to investigate the claims of more than 700 eyewitnesses that former Phoenix City Councilwoman Frances Barwood says she brought to his office's attention. So, a few final facts about the Phoenix Lights case. Two months before Phoenix became a hotbed of UFO interest, some reported seeing strange lights in the month before, including Dr. Lynn Kite a witness to the lights and author of Phoenix Lights, a skeptic's discovery that we are not alone. UFO researchers report that before the lights were seen over Phoenix, they were first spotted near Henderson, Nevada, and afterwards they were even seen in Mexico. We call it the Phoenix Lights, but that's really not completely accurate, said Richard Dolan, a UFO writer and researcher referencing the sighting hours earlier in Nevada. You're talking about two distinctive types of events. Could be related. Could be the same thing. Could be something different. There was minimal news coverage at the time of the incident. In Phoenix, a small number of local news outlets noted the event, but it received little attention beyond that. But on June the 18th, 1997, USA Today ran a front-page story that brought national attention to the case. This was followed by news coverage on the ABC and NBC television networks. The case quickly caught the popular imagination and has since become a staple of UFO-related documentary television, including specials produced by the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. Do we have evidence that it was an extraterrestrial event? No, said Jim Mann, director of Arizona Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, an investigative and research organization. We have evidence that it was an extremely bizarre event. We cannot put a label on it other than it was an anomaly. Mann added that Arizona MUFON investigated 325 cases of reported UFOs in 2019. The majority were explained. Only 12 were filed away as unknown.
Instead of being awed and immediately wanting to discuss what they saw, some witnesses reported a sort of temporary amnesia. James Fox, a director of three UFO documentaries, shared that while interviewing some hospice workers for one of his UFO documentaries about the event, they shared that they watched the lights appear and disappear over a period of time but didn't say a word about it. We went right back to our tea, Fox said, a woman told him. Jim Mann said he spoke to a man who reported that he stopped his car on the side of the road and watched with several others as a craft slowly glided overhead. Not a word was spoken. After it went by, everyone got in their car and drove home. For some people, there was more to the Phoenix Lights than just seeing something weird in the sky. Witnesses reported strange feelings and even a sort of temporary amnesia created by the event, as noted in an article by the Arizona Republic. So, in the end, what were the Phoenix Lights? Some claim they saw physical crafts behind those lights. Others claim the light themselves were the crafts. Some believe they were aliens or interdimensional beings. Still others think it was a secret military spacecraft. The first instance was a string of bright lights in a V formation. Perhaps the explanation by an astronomer looking through a telescope at the time that it was just a line of small aircraft flying in formation makes sense. But there seems to be far too many witnesses who reported seeing not just lights, but an actual craft associated with those lights that was so large it blotted out stars in the sky. And such a flight of planes should have been easily and immediately confirmable by air traffic control at the Phoenix airport. I don't know what they were, Dr. Lenkaiti said, but I know that they were. She claims she saw them before and after turning her from skeptic to believe her. It was a mile-wide formation of these orbs, she said, and I caught them head-on, turning into a V. Hundreds of others saw the same lights. Switchboards lit up that night, looking for an explanation. With the second instance of a string of bright lights laid out in a curve, Luke Air Force Base provided one. Flares dropped at high altitude. The question turned from what the lights were to whether you believed in them or not as something otherworldly. How can flares that cannot keep a formation traverse the entire state and beyond for hours in a rock-solid V, Kaidi asked. Many have asked the same question. She, like so many others, doesn't believe the government's version of events. Kaidi cites people who claim they saw an actual spacecraft, black or gunmetal colored, flying over Arizona. Some reports came from as far away as Las Vegas and New Mexico, she said. But aviation experts said the flare explanation could be possible. Former F-16 pilot Ty Groh said flares in the sky react like hot air balloons. They go where the wind takes them. A steady breeze could propel all of the flares at the same time while keeping them at a uniform distance. Grohl also said extremely bright objects like flares dropped at a distance can appear closer than they really are. He said he experienced it firsthand while flying F-16s. You'll be looking at airliners that look like they're 10 miles away, and they're actually 400 miles away, Grohl said. So some believe the official explanation, military flares. But I keep coming back to what the flare explanation cannot take into account the many people who say they saw an actual physical object behind those lights 
And many witnesses remained steadfast, saying they don't believe the lights were anything but otherworldly. So in the end, we just don't know for sure what the Phoenix lights really were. For all that has been said and reported over nearly 25 years, the lights crossing the Phoenix sky will remain as they have been. Still a mystery. Postscript The Phoenix Lights Return The lights were reported to have reappeared in 2007 and 2008 and were again attributed to military flares dropped by fighter aircraft at Luke Air Force Base, but also to an instance of flares attached to helium balloons released by a civilian. On April 21, 2008, lights were again reported over Phoenix by local residents. These lights appeared to change from square to triangular formation over time. A Valley resident reported that shortly after the lights appeared, three jets were seen flying west in the direction of the lights. An official from Luke Air Force Base denied any U.S. Air Force activity in the area. On April 22, 2008, a resident of Phoenix told a newspaper that the lights were nothing more than his neighbor releasing helium balloons with flares attached. This was confirmed by a police helicopter. The following day, a Phoenix resident, who declined to be identified in news reports, stated that he had attached flares to helium balloons and released them from his backyard. On December the 8th, 2019, Yet another remarkable visitation caught the attention of thousands of people when multiple witnesses reported and recorded lighted orbs over the busy city of Mesa. The larger orbs appeared to have produced smaller orbs. So far, officials from government, law enforcement, and the military have not replied with their usual weather balloon or flare explanations. They seem to be just as puzzled as the witnesses. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Yes, indeed, it is time for the episode quiz. And those of you who are regular listeners know that we provide a lot of content out on our Facebook page. You can find it by searching on Facebook for The Paranormal Factor Podcast. Mondays are Monster Mondays, where we highlight a monster for you. Tuesday, we give you the quiz, but we don't give you the answer. We're going to do that in just a moment. It's, the answers are always given during the Friday episodes. Wednesdays, we highlight a film or a book based on paranormal subject matter. And on Thursdays, we try to give you some fairly recent paranormal news that's out there. So this week's quiz, what is CHAMP? Or perhaps I should say, who is CHAMP? Is it A, a renowned Bigfoot in Seattle, B, an unearthed giant in West Virginia, C, a Louisiana swamp monster, D, a lake monster in New York and Vermont? So once again, who is Champ? Is Champ a renowned Bigfoot in Seattle, an unearthed giant in West Virginia, a Louisiana swamp monster, or a lake monster in New York and Vermont? And the answer is... D, a lake monster. 
Lake Champlain is the Adirondacks' largest lake, providing the perfect playground for boating, fishing, water sports, and lake monsters. Yes, that's right. Lake monsters. For centuries, legends and alleged sightings of an enormous swimming monster have captured the imagination of locals, visitors, and even scholars. The indigenous people that have long lived and hunted near Lake Champlain have their own legends about a large creature inhabiting the lake, which looked like a large horned serpent or giant snake. Early in the 18th century, the Abenakis warned French explorers about disturbing the waters of the lake so as not to disturb the serpent. Samuel de Champlain, whom the lake is named after, is often erroneously credited with being the first European to sight this lake monster, affectionately called Champ. The next famous account appears in the Plattsburgh Republican newspaper on Saturday, July 24th of 1819. Captain Crum was aboard a scow on Bulwaga Bay the previous Thursday morning when he reported a black monster about 187 feet long and with a head resembling a seahorse that reared more than 15 feet out of the water. He claimed the monster he saw had three teeth, eyes the color of a peeled onion, a white star on his forehead, and a belt of red around the neck. That is a remarkable level of detail concerning an object that was, according to the witness, some 200 yards away. 1873 was a busy year for Champ. A New York Times story reported that a railroad crew had seen the head of an enormous serpent in Lake Champlain with bright silvery scales that glistened in the sun. Both the men and the monster parted ways at that point. In July that same year, Clinton County Sheriff Nathan H. Mooney claimed he had seen a water serpent about 110 yards from where he was on the shore. He claimed he was so close that he could see round white spots inside its mouth and that the creature appeared to be about 25 to 30 feet in length. Due to his official status as sheriff, Mooney's sighting led to many more alleged witnesses coming forward with their own accounts of Champ. Then in August of 1873, the steamship W.B. Eddy encountered Champ by running into it. The ship nearly turned over, according to the tourists on board. The legend of Champ even captured the interest of P.T. Barnum, and in 1873 and again in 1887, the famous showman offered rewards for anyone who could bring him the monster. Never one to miss a trick, showman P.T. Barnum offered a reward of $50,000 in 1873 for Hyde of the Great Champlain Serpent to add to my Mammoth World's Fair show. Another group signing came in 1945, when passengers of the SS Ticonderoga claimed to have seen a creature. By 1992, sightings totaled 180, with approximately 600 people involved in those sightings all over the lake. A few people even managed to snap photos of what they claimed to be Champ. Much like his mythical relative at Loch Ness, Champ's sightings and photos are much debated and analyzed. The 21st century saw a new wave of sightings, which numbered in the double digits each summer and prompted interest from Japanese television, The Today Show, NBC's Unsolved Mysteries, and Fox Network's Sightings. In 2003, the Discovery Channel did a special on America's Loch Ness Monster in the wake of three new sightings by June of that year. Champ has been written about in Discover Magazine and in scholarly journals. 
Although many people are skeptical of sightings, Champ is now protected by law on both sides of Lake Champlain, just in case. One piece of evidence, though not a sighting per se, is the recording of sounds from within the lake by the Fauna Communications Research Institute in 2003, working as part of a Discovery Channel program. The group described the sounds as being similar to those produced by beluga whales or dolphins, neither of which are known to live in Lake Champlain. An article describing the recordings has been published to scientific literature. Based upon appearance and mysterious alligator-like tracks found near Lake Champlain, cryptozoologists Katie Elizabeth and Dennis Hall suggested in 2016 that Champ could be a member of the crocodile family. Today, Champ is celebrated whether he exists or not. In Vermont, a baseball team is known as the Lake Monsters with a Champ mascot. A Champ statue sits by the water in Port Henry, New York and images of the monster, looking cheerful and definitely not scary, appear throughout the area, at local businesses, on t-shirts, in children's books, and more. A historical marker even sits on the shore in Clinton County, in honor of everyone's favorite lake monster. The Jersey Devil. No, we're not talking about a member of the hockey team. This is the bizarre creature said to haunt the Pine Barrens of South New Jersey. In Southern New Jersey and Philadelphia, the Jersey Devil is a renowned and popular folklore creature. One of the few creatures capable of being both terrifying and warmly embraced by its regional inhabitancy. It's a strange story of Quakers, mysticism, a peculiar family, and Ben Franklin. Talk about a tale of the bizarre. Join us next time when we look in on the Jersey Devil, Beast of the Pine Barrens. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>